Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Azarin the Language Nerd here. I'm the owner of the Calgary Language Nerds and welcome to today's podcast episode. I want to talk about a few things today. The first one has to do with language learning. The second one is something that I believe should have happened yesterday, specifically with airlines. There is a language connection, a direct language connection, of course. And then lastly, I want to share a few things that I've learned through my meditation, reading, and journaling, because I do a lot of that nowadays. On the language learning side of things, I want to share a bit of a story. So I have a younger cousin. She is, I believe, I want to say seven years old. I believe she's seven. And she goes to school in a, uh, she goes to a Spanish bilingual school. So what that means is she does half of her day in, in Spanish and half of her day in English. We have a number of schools like that here in Calgary where I live. And frequently what will happen when we're at family events like I was today is someone in the family will inevitably say something to the effect of, hey, Azarin, you should talk to your cousin and, and talk to her in Spanish. And every time I've done that, my cousin, I think she semi-understands what I'm saying, but she's not able to reply. She gets a bit awkward, and we're, we're never really able to speak much in Spanish. And I want to share a little bit behind what's happening in my perspective. And I think it has to do with context. The thing with language is you feel certain you feel comfortable communicating in certain contexts and you feel less comfortable communicating in other contexts when you've established with a certain person that this is the language i use with this person it is incredibly awkward to then speak to that person in another language and so i think this is what's happening with my cousin we speak in english she knows i speak in english and now I'm suddenly speaking to her in Spanish, and she doesn't know how to reply. Not to mention, there's the additional pressure of the family who literally just said, hey, speak to her in Spanish. And so there's also a certain level of performance anxiety. And I think those two things together create uh, a not optimal environment for her to actually interact in Spanish. And it makes me think about certain friends I've had. There's one in particular. I remember this day like it was yesterday. One of the people that I have to basically thank for the vast majority of my Spanish progress, it's someone who used to work at the University of Calgary. And she worked in this, basically it was called El Centro de Español, the Spanish Center, which was a place anyone can go throughout the, throughout the day and ask questions about Spanish. So some people would get homework help. Some people would just go there to practice their speaking. Some people went in that room just to study and be in like a Spanish environment. I used to go there every day for hours on end, daily. And the lady who worked there and I, we became friends. Our entire friendship was built, was built upon us communicating in Spanish. Even if I struggled to say things, she would just help me with saying those things I was struggling to say, I was struggling to say. And this one time, we went to watch a movie, me, her, and a couple of other people. And we were the only two Spanish speakers. Everyone else spoke English. So this was the first time that we were in a group of people where English was the primary language being used. Me and my friend could barely even look at each other. 
we couldn't even look at each other. I don't think she'd ever heard me speak in English. I don't think I'd ever heard her speak in English. And we could not look at each other. We could not speak with each other. If we ever caught each other's eye, it would be kind of awkward. We'd just kind of smile weirdly and look away. And it was so weird. After the movie, and here's the weirdest thing. I think we watched a movie in Spanish with had it, that had English subtitles. We went to watch a foreign movie, if I remember correctly. Afterward, uh, my friend and I were walking back to our cars, and it was just the two of us. And we both gushed and ranted about how awkward it was to have to speak to each other in English. Even though her English is perfect, my English is, well, perfect. I don't know. I speak English very fluently, let's just say. <laughs> she did too. And yet, we were far more comfortable communicating with each other in Spanish. And it took us some time to break that habit and to slowly feel comfortable speaking in Spanish or English. When we started to hang out in other environments with English speakers, we would slowly get used to speaking in, in English together. It must be something like this. The reason this happens, it must be something like when you speak with someone and you establish that English, for example, is the language you communicate in, it's almost like you build a persona around English and the other person builds a persona around English, and these two personas are communicating. And the moment you switch to another language, it's not that you're a different person, because you're not completely a different person, but you don't know how you're supposed to act. You don't know how you're supposed to communicate, and it's a bit awkward. It's almost like you're meeting the person for the first time. It's maybe comparable in a way, maybe it's comparable in a way, to when you break up with someone, but you decide to try to still be friends. You don't know how to be friends. It's kind of weird. You have to learn to be friends again because you're used to a different kind of relationship. I think it must be similar with languages. When you speak with someone in one language and suddenly you switch, you know, it's almost like you're used to having one kind of relationship with that person and now you're switching things up and you don't know, you don't know how to do that, let's say. And so that's a little language learning uh, story I wanted to share today. Maybe something to pull away from that story is to be mindful of context when you're learning a language. Be mindful of the context. Certain contexts you're not going to feel as comfortable speaking. Other contexts you'll feel more comfortable speaking. Some contexts you're going to have a really hard time understanding what people are saying. Other contexts are going to be a little bit easier. And so being mindful of context when learning a language. Sometimes you might want to push yourself a bit more and you put yourself in a context that's going to be a bit more challenging. And sometimes maybe you want to double down on something that's more comfortable. You get to make that decision yourself. But you have to at least be aware that this situation exists. Changing gears to the second order of business today. Second order of business out of three. This one is a big shot in the dark. I'm wondering if anyone on the podcast has a contact who works at an airline. Let me tell you why. I've had this idea banging around in my mind for quite some time now. I want to say it's been at least a year, maybe longer, that airlines should have on their in-flight entertainment system, so the computers, not the computer, the TV screens on the back of the seats, there should be crash courses on those screens for a wide variety of popular languages. So popular meaning the airline travels a lot to a country that speaks a language. 
Mexico for Spanish or something like that. There should be a crash course, a pre-recorded crash course on the in-flight entertainment system that teaches that language, or at least teaches some of the basics. I've never seen that before, and I think it needs to be made. I have, every time I meet people who work at an airline, I always ask them if they have a contact of, of, of who I would need to communicate with and who I need to, to speak with to discuss that idea, because I want to make that for them. I want to be the one who makes those courses, makes those videos. I have the videographer. I have the guy who can, I have multiple people who can help with that. So that's easy. So we can get the good quality of videos. I've got the people, myself, my instructors, who can make the courses, understand what content to put, are used to teaching on camera. They have some experience with that. So that's already there, right? Everything's in place. I even have instructors for a wide variety of languages. Everything is in place. It's a. It's not overly costly either. So I think it's something that should be done. And so if you have any airline contacts, please get them in touch with me. I'd love to talk with them and uh, discuss with them further. And now moving on to the third order of business, which has nothing to do with language learning. And it's just my, uh, some things that I've learned through my, my meditation, my reading and my writing. As you guys know, this has become like a trinity, like a holy trinity or something like that. <laughs> Three things that I do that uh, have a tremendously positive impact on my life. <coughs> Excuse me. And I want to share a couple of things that I've learned. The first one is more personal, and I'm not sure if there's anything you can learn from it per se, but I want to share it anyway. Maybe there's something you can take away. The first one just has to be it has to do like has to do with my business. And I've realized that I want to do more B2B sales and B2B marketing. Hence the airline thing I just mentioned. So a quick crash course. B2B sales means that I have a business that sells a product or a service to another business. You have the opposite, which is B2C sales, business to consumer or business to client. I actually don't know what the C stands for. But the, the point is, I have I have 12 years of experience in B2B marketing, B2B sales, uh, sorry, B2C marketing and B2C sales. So I've always sold directly to the consumer. And I want to start in incorporating business to business marketing in my marketing mix. The reason for that is when you land a B2B client, the initial purchase is generally bigger than when you have a B2C client. My average purchase size is something like $260, something like that. Of course, there are people that spend thousands. There are, well, thousand or thousands even, to be honest. Uh, and some people that spend less than $260, all, you know, as low as 50 bucks a month. But on average, it's about 275 something like that. But when I look at my current B2B clients, which I have some, I don't have a lot, but I have a few. God, they're spending $1,500 on their, on their purchases. The largest one would have been like a $10,000, uh, $10, more than that, actually. It was like a uh, $17,000 contract. I have another one, which is minimum a $7,000 contract and might be all the way up to about just shy of a $20,000 contract, depending on if I can play things properly and do a good job and retain the client and this, that, the other thing. So I want to do that. I want to get some more B2B, uh, B2B sales going in my business. I believe the business to consumer side, the B2C side is, is actually more important than the B2B side because it's not just about the dollars. 
It's not just about, oh, the B2B clients are bigger. Let's just go after those. No, 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 no. Because in a B2B world, the way I see it, you could lose a client in a heartbeat. That business, for example, has an employee. You're dealing with that employee. That employee changes jobs next year. He's replaced by Jim Schmim, and Jim Schmim doesn't want to continue working with you anymore. He wants to spend his money differently. So all of a sudden, you lose your $25,000 contract. So it's very vol more volatile, at least the way I see it. Maybe it's maybe I'm wrong there, but I like the fact that in a B2C world, you have the, a direct relationship with the end consumer. It's directly with them. And so you're in control. It's also a shorter sales cycle. And there's various benefits to the B2C side, which I like a lot. But I do want to sprinkle in a little bit of B2B marketing. And the final thing today, which I think you can learn something from, uh, it's something I recently learned through, uh, through some journaling and some writing. I shouldn't call it journaling because I'm not actually journaling. I'm more doing critical thinking through writing is really what I'm doing. And the thing I learned is the following. I think it's important to look at all the people that you admire from celebrities all the way to people in your family, your mom, your dad, people you truly look up to and admire. Make a list of those people and see what they have in common. For me, when I did this, it was really cool because I was able to create a couple of bullet points, some guidelines for me to follow and emulate because, well, maybe I'm wrong on this, but at least me, people I admire, I admire them for traits that they have that I would like to at least partially emulate. So here's a great example. Uh, just today, uh, I came across, uh, what's that guy's name? David Goggins. Did I get that right? The guy who's the ultra marathon runner. He wrote a book called uh, You Can't Hurt Me. That's what it's called. I've placed it on hold at the library. I'm waiting for it to, to show up. And so I was watching a podcast today with him. And he's talking about his life, his mentality, how he views, views things. And I thought to myself, wow, listen, we're very different people. We're not the same person. And I could never do the, the physical feats that you do. Maybe I never even could. I don't know. Nor do I want to find out. I don't have any desire to do that. But I do admire the guy's mental toughness and his work ethic and just the way he views certain things. I don't. I would never do it exactly as he does it because for me, I think that would be too extreme. It's overdoing it. But if I can take 10% of that and add it to my life, it would be very beneficial. And so I look up to... I look up to certain characteristics that I see in this individual. And there's others too. So one thing I did today actually is I just wrote down. I was trying to figure out I was trying to figure out what is it that all these people have in common. So I made a list of different people I admire. Some of them are public figures or they're well known. Some of them are just people I know in my life that no one really knows, just me and friends and things like that <laughs> that I admire. And I wrote down, why do I admire each of these people? And I found there were some common threads. And from those common threads, uh, I was able to figure out some things that I need to do at this point in my life. So for me right now, here are some of the things I wrote down. Now, these may not work for you, but this is for me where I am right now in my life. Okay. 
So the first one is I want to feel busy on a day-to-day basis. And I want to put more pressure on myself. I want to push myself to do more. Because I, I'm a busy guy. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Like, I'm pretty diligent, and I use my time very effectively. I, 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 uh, I'm, str- I'm thoughtful on how I spend my time. I don't just sit there watching hours of television, although I used to, until I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. So I watch almost no television anymore, like maybe half hour a week, something like that. And, but I realized, oh, you know what's different? Before, earlier in my life, I used to feel more pressure on myself. I actually had more to get done on a day-to-day basis, and there were some stakes. There were some stakes, meaning if I didn't get certain things done, bad things would happen, or things would fall apart, or I would get in trouble for my boss, or that client would ask me, why didn't I send that? Or, you know, my someone in my family, my mom might say, hey, why aren't those dishes done? Or... Or I might think to myself, crap, I didn't get that done. Or I might think, oh man, I didn't get to exercise. That's not good for my knee. That's not good for this. There were, I had more pressure to get more things done that were important to me in the day. And by the way, they're not all just work. And it's not just productivity culture, I don't think. It's more like, it's more something like, there are things that are important to me that I want to do. Some of them are very personal and their fears I want to tackle, their insecurities I have, their things in that nature. And some things are professional, some things are family related. There's a whole bunch of things I just want to get done that I want to do because they're important to me. It's important to me. And so like, I should try to maximize my time the way, for me anyway, I'm not saying you should do this. I want to stress, I don't think you should do this. Everyone needs to make their own decision. But for me, I realized when I was looking at people I've been admiring lately, one common thread among all of them is either they choose to put themselves in situations where they have to face adversity and there's a pressure, there's extra pressure on them to, in certain cases, make money, in certain cases, fix a personal flaw, in certain cases, lose weight. It's different for all the people, but there's a certain pressure put on them either externally, not of their own volition, or they choose to put the pressure on themselves, perhaps uh, Goggins is an example of that, to perform in a certain way or to behave in a certain way, to strive towards a certain result. And I realized that I want to put, I need to put more pressure on myself. I want to feel a bit more pressure. I used to feel more you know, I am who I am today because of the five and a half years where I worked in a pressure cooker at the window cleaning franchise. Seriously, I am who I am today because of it. I work 60 to 80 hour weeks, which I don't think is healthy. At least for me, is not healthy in the long term, but I needed to have gone through it. I needed that pressure cooker. And right now, listen, I don't need the 80 hour a week high stress pressure cooker. Good Lord, I don't need that. But I need 10% more pressure, 20% more pressure. I got to put that on myself. And so that's something I learned, right? Number two I learned is, all these people I admire, they do, most of them, there's a couple that don't, but then I noticed I don't admire them for this trait that I'm about to share. Like that's something I actually don't admire about them. But the best of the people on my list, they do lots of things that stretched their comfort zone. 
They're actively looking to do things that they should be doing, that they decided they should be doing. Not society, not the world, not their parents, not their significant other, not their brother, not their sister. They decided for themselves, oh, I probably should do this. Here's why I think I should do this. I think it's good for me. Boy, that's scary and it stretches my comfort zone, but let me go do it anyway. That is so admirable. And I don't do enough of it. I do some. I've been doing more. I've turned the, what's the word? I've turned the dial up a little bit on that, 10%. Maybe I was a, God, what was I before? I might have, I might have given myself a two on 10, three on 10 at best. No, not a three. I was probably a one or a two. Now, maybe I'm at like a three, maybe a, maybe a four, maybe 3.5 at the highest right now. I'd, lo- I'd love to push that to a an eight, a seven. You know, a good seven, eight would be wonderful. And I'm just not there yet. I'm just trying to push myself more. Swimming was one hurdle. Still conquering that. Another one, it sounds so stupid, but I'll share it with you. I don't know if I've ever said it out loud. Maybe I've said it before in the podcast. Here's one. I've been very insecure about this one my entire life. is just dressing. Dressing myself. Sounds so stupid, right? I have never liked, no, it's not even that. I have visceral, I've been, I've had a visceral hate to shopping. Not even like, oh, I don't like it. Uh, It's like, no, I hate it to the point where it's almost like I fear it. Isn't that crazy? My whole life, we could dissect psychologically why, but it's not important, but I've hated it. I've avoided it. I don't like it at all. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what looks good. I purposely not learned to look at what looks good. I've, I don't, I've never, in the past, I never noticed fashion. I was like, I don't care what you're wearing. I used to say I'm going to wear jeans and a t-shirt to my wedding is what I used to say when I was a kid. No suits, no nice clothes, hate. And then recently I've explored that a bit. I'm like, listen, there's something going on there, Azrin. <laughs> like something like, why do you hate that? Like the devil, like what is going on, buddy? And so I've started to explore that and I realized, okay, I need to let that go a bit. And uh, a nice rule of thumb I've made for myself is you shouldn't not do something because you can't do it. You should not do something because you choose not to do it. I'll say it again. You shouldn't not do something because you can't. If you choose not to do something, it's just because you don't want to, not because you can't. So for me, when it comes to dressing and even just basic fashion sense, not even fashionista, but just rough idea of what remotely looks kind of good, where I have no, I had no concept before. I was like, I should probably have some concept and I should be able to go in a store, have an idea. Oh, that looks good for this reason. I want to wear that for this reason. I want that pair of jeans. Oh, this looks like this. Oh, this formal clothes I can wear like this. Oh, I can do that like this and have a basic understanding. And then, and then even have some clothes in my wardrobe to wear, should I choose to. And then I can dress like whatever bum I want. I can dress like a bum, should I choose to. I can dress like really well if I choose to. But then it's something I'm doing out of choice and not because I don't know how and I have this visceral reaction to it. Same with swimming. 
I might never go swim again. Who knows? I might go feel comfortable in the water and then never go in the water again. But at least I know I know that I know how to do it. Right? I actually have a list in my book, in the in the back of my book, of things like that. Of things like, here's some things that I need to learn. Some of them are not things out of my comfort zone. Some of them are, right? But here's one, like learning to find a job. I actually don't know how to find a job. I don't know how to write a resume. I don't know what to put on it. I don't know how to interview. I don't know the norms that people do. I don't know how to write a cover letter. I don't know any of that. I mean, I've gotten jobs before, but I've gotten jobs in very non-traditional ways. I show up to the interview and I have no clue what I'm doing. I just speak my mind. I'm pretty honest and truthful. I don't know what to wear. I wear whatever I'm wearing that day and off we go. Sometimes it's not gone well. Sometimes it goes well. Like, I don't know. I feel like I should have the confidence to say, I know how to find a job. If I ever want to find a job, I know how to do it. Whereas right now, I don't know. Like, maybe you could find a job. Who the hell knows? I have no clue. No clue. So yeah, I mean, there's a few other rules I've written down here on my piece of paper. These are not, these are just other rules I've learned through other meditations. So, and just journaling and reading. I'm now reading, uh, I'll, I'll share this thing and we'll finish the podcast. I'm now reading three books at the same time. I think I've shared, I think I've talked about two of them. One of which is uh, The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank. Interesting book. Uh, I'm reading as well the Bible, which I think I shared too. Not for religious purposes, just I'm curious about what's in there. I think there's a lot of uh, lessons to be learned from the Bible, whether you're Christian or not. Um, and then third of all, this one I don't think I've shared at all. I'm reading Gandhi's autobiography. I've, I'm 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 very into reading autobiographies lately. It's cool to see how people think, especially when they've achieved great things. And I've noticed so far, I haven't read that many, but in the two autobiographies, wait, two? Uh, well, it, well, look, I'll leave that aside, actually. I had a comment, but I'll, I'll leave it aside. Gandhi's autobiography so far is, is very, very interesting. Okay, guys, well, it's 2 a.m. It's my bedtime in half an hour. I want to, like, turn all my tech off and, like, kind of sit and just chill and get my brain ready for sleep because I sleep at 2.30. So let's wrap this podcast up. I appreciate your attention as always. Remember, if you have any airline contacts, put me in touch with them. I'd really appreciate that. Any B2B contacts you think make sense, if there's any businesses you're in touch with and you're like, hey, you should work with them, Azrin, please reach out because I do want to get some more B2B deals set up. Cool, guys. Well, have a wonderful rest of your uh, morning, afternoon, night, whatever it is, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.